world expert on the Dutch artist Johannes Vermeer, was once shown this painting. It's called Christ and the Disciples at Emmaus. And shortly afterwards, that expert wrote an article in a, an international art magazine. He said, It is a wonderful moment in the life of a lover of art when he finds himself suddenly confronted with a hitherto unknown painting by a great master. I am convinced that we have here the masterpiece of Johannes Vermeer of Delft. But the problem is, it wasn't painted by Vermeer. It was a fake. It was a forgery, painted by another man 300 years after Vermeer had lived. It was a bit like that pair of Nike trainers you bought on eBay. They looked like the real thing, but they'd worn out within a week. Or that free-to-download computer game that looked like the £40 game from the proper website, but just didn't work. You see, that's the problem with fakes, isn't it? They trick us, but they don't work. And I think that is the problem we've got with Jonah's prayer. It's a brilliant, beautiful forgery. It looks like the real thing, but it's a fake. And so it doesn't really work. Just look at what the fish does at the end of the story. Verse 10, it vomits Jonah out. You see, Jonah's prayer leaves such a bad taste in the fish's mouth that he sicks him up onto the beach. And I take it that we can, that it also leaves a sick taste, a bad taste in God's mouth too. You see, Jonah's prayer is full of right stuff about God. We might say that it's spot-on theology, but it's full of wrong stuff at the, at the same time. It is full of sick-up theology. And so this morning, what we're going to do is what that art expert should have done. We're going to scratch beneath the surface of Jonah's prayer to see the signs of the fake. We're going to look for those signs of sick-up theology, because if Jonah, a prophet, can pray a fake prayer, then I reckon we can probably pray fake prayers too, and I take it that we don't want to do that. So four signs of sick-up theology. Here's the first one. We don't say sorry to God also known as self-deception. We don't say sorry to God, also known as self-deception. Verse 1, from inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You see, Jonah is massively upset about the trouble that he's in. I guess we'd be upset too. Can you imagine three days and three nights in the belly of a stinky fish? But why is Jonah in such a mess? Because of his sin. God told Jonah to go to Nineveh. What did Jonah do? He ran in the opposite direction to Tarshish. Jonah didn't even pray for help in the middle of that storm. He fell asleep. Jonah didn't even tell the sailors to pray. He told them to chuck him overboard. Jonah asks God to save him, but he never says sorry for his sin. Not once. What a huge contrast to those sailors. Do you remember them? We met them last week in chapter 1. Do you remember the prayer they prayed to God just before they threw Jonah overboard? Have a look back. Verse 14, chapter 1. Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. In other words, God, we're sorry. We know that what we're about to do is wrong. 
please forgive us. They say sorry. Jonah never does. Why not? Because he's tricked himself into thinking that everything is okay between him and God. Verse 8 gives us a clue about that self-deception. Verse 8. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. Jonah is contrasting himself with those terrible pagan sailors. Do you remember them? They were, they were praying to their fake gods. He's contrasting himself with the wicked people of Nineveh that we're going to meet in chapter 3. And Jonah says, I'm not like them. I'm one of God's people. I worship the one true God, not a fake idol. I'm absolutely sure that God will always love me. What do I have to say sorry about? Jonah has tricked himself into thinking that everything is tickety-boo between him and God, and so he doesn't say sorry. Do you think we can do the same thing? The Apostle John thinks so. 1 John 1 verse 8. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. We can do that too. Of course, all our sin is forgiven the moment we put our trust in Jesus. But of course, we still sin every day, don't we? And so we must keep on saying sorry to God by ourselves, with our friends, with our family, as a church. If we don't, then this first sign of sick-up theology, not saying sorry to God, self-deception, can end up in our own hearts too. But the sickness doesn't stop there. Here's the next sign. Number two, we blame God when it's actually our fault, also known as self-righteousness. Verse 3, you hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the current swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. Now hang on, stop right there. Who threw Jonah into the sea? It was the sailors, wasn't it? But whose idea was it? Jonah's idea. He even said, chapter 1, verse 12, throw me into the sea. It is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. But look who he's blaming in verse 3. You, God, hurled me into the sea. And in one sense, Jonah is spot on because God is absolutely in charge of everything. Nothing happens unless he's decided that it should happen. But why are God's waves and breakers sweeping over Jonah? Why are the currents swirling around him? Because Jonah was running from God, and God had to stop him. Jonah has got no one to blame but himself. And yet he still tries to point the finger to God. You see verse 4? I said, I have been banished from your sight. Yes, you see, Jonah is seriously suggesting that God has banished him, even though Jonah ran away. And then he's out for our sympathy. Verse 5. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. His moments from death. He's gasping for air. He's choked around the neck. The light is fading. The pressure is mounting. His lungs are filling with water. Desperate stuff. But does Jonah really deserve our sympathy? Is he really a victim? Hasn't he been told what to do and didn't he do his own thing anyway? Didn't he hear God's voice but make his own decision? And isn't that what we often do too? 
Now, of course, we're not prophets with a specific command to go to a specific city, but God still speaks to us through his word, gives us a mission to be part of and a life to live, but oftentimes we think we know better than him. And the decisions we make get us into deep water. And then it's easy to start blaming God for the mess that our sin lands us in. Because God is in charge. He designs the universe in such a way that we reap what we sow. And so we can't build our lives on sand instead of the rock of God's word and expect them to stand when the storms come. But if we simply blame God when it's actually our fault, then we've fallen hook, line and sinker into the trap of self-righteousness, the lie that we only deserve good things from God. And we won't cope when trouble comes along. It won't be long until our prayers, like Jonah's prayers, are bitter and hypocritical and angry, or we stop praying altogether. And we'll speak to our friends in such a way designed to, to win their symp- sympathy. We'll wallow in self-pity. It's the, first, it's the second sign of sick-up theology, blaming God when it's actually our fault. It's an ugly way to live, isn't it? I know it comes far too easily to me. Maybe it does to you as well. But if it's not a big enough problem in itself, it can lead us on to a third sign, which is this. We think our religion can fix our problems, also known as self-reliance. We think our religion can fix our problems. Verse 6. But you, my Lord, brought my life up from the pit. Absolutely spot on. Jonah gets it right. Little by, little, a little like the, the young woman we heard about on holiday a couple of weeks ago. She'd gone on her paddleboard and she was halfway across the Solent to the Isle of Wight, totally lost. And she had to rely on the lifeguard to save her. Only the lifeguard could save her. And Jonah knows only God can save me. He's right. But deep down in his heart, does he really believe that God is his saviour? Have a look at verse 7. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Can you see that he's actually relying on himself more than he is on God? Look at it again. I remembered you. My prayer rose to you, the same as in verse 4, yet I will look again towards your holy temple. It's all about the religious stuff that Jonah does for God, not what God does for him. It's the fact that he prays more than the God to whom he prays. Jonah gives lip service to the idea that God saves him, but in his heart, he's pretty confident he deserves it, and he saves himself. He's the hero, not God. Does that ever, that sort of self-reliant theology ever kind of seep into our own lives? What do you think? We say our prayers. Surely God should answer them how we want him to answer them. We read our Bibles. Surely God should give us the promises of his word when we want him to. We attend the right sort of church. Surely God should bless us. Do we ever do the right religious things on the outside, but secretly believe on the inside that we're the heroes of the story? Maybe we need to hear the warning that Jesus once gave to the religious experts of his day. There's a whole chapter of this, but here's just a couple of verses from Matthew 23. Woe to you, 
scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. For you clean what is outside the cup and the dish, but on the inside you are full of avarice and greed and impurity, self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the dish, and then what is outside becomes clean. See, Jesus warns us that the religion on the outside is worth nothing if it's not changed by religion on the inside. If it doesn't change our hearts. And Jonah's prayer warns us too. It's easy to be self-reliant, to think that our religion can fix our problems, but, but that's kind of fake. It's a forgery. It's sick up theology. And it's not what God wants for us at all, because God is the hero of the story. Just like that, the hero of that story in the Solent is the lifeboat, not the girl on the paddleboard. God is the hero of the story. He's the saviour. And he wants us to rely on him 100%. So let's ask for his help to do that, even as we keep an eye out for the fourth and final sign, which is this. First, number four. We make promises, but don't change our lives. Also known as self-satisfaction. We make promises, but don't change our lives. Verse nine. But I with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. Okay, Jonah makes three big promises as he finishes up. First, he says, I'm definitely going to say thank you. And you might think that would be a good thing to do, wouldn't you? After all, God saves him with a fish. But Jonah never says thank you. Not once. In fact, in chapter 4, when he gets an opportunity to talk to God, he goes ballistic at what God has done. More on that in two weeks. Next, Jonah promises, makes promises about what he'll do to the, for the Lord. He says, what I have vowed, I will make good. But Jonah never does anything the way God wants him to do it. The sailors do in chapter 1. They make vows to God. The Ninevites do in chapter 3, they turn from their evil ways. But Jonah just spouts a whole lot of hot air. And what about the third promise? He says, I will say salvation comes from the Lord. In other words, he'll say that only the one true God saves. But when we get to chapter 3, we'll discover that Jonah doesn't really say that at all. All he tells them is, you're doomed. Jonah makes promises, but those promises never actually change his life. Is that because he's self-satisfied, happy in his own skin, totally comfortable with who he is? I think so. Do you know Jonah talks about himself 24 times in this prayer? That is about double the number of times he talks about God. What is Jonah's number one problem? Jonah is Jonah's number one problem. He's self-obsessed, he's self-satisfied, he can talk the talk, but he doesn't walk the walk. Why should he? He's got where he wants to be, and he doesn't want God to put any more demands on his life. Now, can we make the same sort of mistakes in our life too? We make big promises in prayer, but we don't really put them into practice. When God gives us a chance to do what we said we'd do, we find an excuse not to do it. Is that because we're self-satisfied too, comfortable in our own skin? Can't God do us a favor and uh, butt out of our business? 
Well, Jonah's prayer looks beautiful on the surface, like that painting. But it's a forgery, fake. No wonder it leaves a bad taste in the fish's mouth because Jonah can't fool God and neither can we. At the very end of the Bible, Jesus speaks to a church whose life didn't match up with what they said they believed. He said this, Because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. God isn't fooled by fakes. He wants what we know up here in our heads to change what we think and feel down here in our hearts and for that to change us. If it doesn't, then we might just make him sick. So let's take to heart these signs of sick-up theology in Jonah chapter 2. Let's ask for God's help to turn away from them. But as we do that, let's remember what is true in Jonah's prayer. Because for all his faults, he does get a few things absolutely right. Not least, the very last thing he says, salvation comes from the Lord. You see, long after Jonah, there was a much greater prophet who didn't spend three days and three nights in the belly of a fish. He spent three days and three nights buried in the heart of the earth. He didn't run away from God's mission to save sinners, but he walked steadfastly towards the cross. He was truly banished from God's sight as he died the death we deserve to die. God did bring his life up from the pit so that he might never die again, so he might be king and savior instead. For all our self-deception, all our self-righteousness, all our self-reliance, all our self-satisfaction, Jesus died and rose again. And so may you and I respond to him with shouts of grateful praise and transformed lives. Troop our heads and pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that salvation comes from you. We thank you that you are a great God and a wonderful Savior. And we pray you'd help us to trust you. Turn us away from these kind of forgeries that Jonah has, that have been exposed in Jonah's prayer. Turn us towards living for you with all our heart and soul and mind and strength. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.